This is a HeadGum Podcast. Craig, you're looking at me like you have an idea for a great website. I've got a lot of ideas. I didn't know that they were about websites, but now that you say it, sure rings a bell what should mm-hmm, i do mm-hmm. now that this bell's been rung you should go and unring that bell at squarespace.com which is a website that helps you make websites they help you sell stuff online market your brand uh they give you analytics so you can see who's making who's seeing your cool idea mm, website i like that, I like that. <laughs> they help you do all the website related things that you're dreaming about by giving you award-winning design world-class engineering beautiful templates and uh, powerful e-commerce tools, and they've got 24-7 customer support, nothing to patch or upgrade ever. You never have to worry about all the code that's bubbling underneath the surface of every site on the World Wide Web. That you just need to worry dangerous. about having the idea. Yeah, no, don't touch it. Okay, Don't touch that hot it. HTML. They've got it. Squarespace has it. If you want help making a website, go to squarespace.com slash overdue for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code overdue to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash overdue with the offer code overdue. Save 10% on a big steaming bowl of website. Squarespace. Welcome to Overdue. It's a podcast about the books you've been meaning to read. My name is Craig. My name is Andrew. Andrew. How about them Sixers? No, I don't want to talk about that. You don't want to talk about the Sixers. I don't want to talk about a bad thing. Um, Mm -hmm. In a second, I want you... God, the Sixers are bad. Rip in peace, 76ers, (laughs) and Craig's playoff dreams. Once again, a Philadelphia sports team has done this thing to my good friend Craig, and I'm very upset with them about it. Really awful. Thank you. Um, In a second, I want you to tell me about uh, the book you read this week, Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin, Mm -hmm. um, because every week on the show, one of us reads a book and tells the other person about it, and you get to find out why someone else thought it was an important or interesting book to read. Um, But before we do that, Andrew, I just want to say from the bottom of my broken Sixers heart, Mm -hmm. happy Father's Day, man. Oh, you already had a thing planned. I was thinking happy... Sixers loser day and you were thinking happy Father's Day. I was just thinking about you my friend who's a good dad and I just wanted to say that to you. Thanks. Thanks. Being a dad is hard a lot of the time. You work really hard at it and that's not to say that any of that work isn't deserved and that all the praise you get for it isn't deserved. So I'm giving you praise for it now bud because you're good Thank at it. You. Well me today me and Henry had some cool times hanging out and I got him up from his nap, and he was really grumpy, and he just laid on the floor and cried. And I just, I just rubbed his little back while he laid on the floor and cried because he, I didn't know what he wanted, and he didn't know what he wanted. Nope. But that's, and sometimes that's just what parenting is. Hey, and you just did that for me at the top of this show. So yeah, really. <laughs> well, I know what you wanted, and that's <laughs> a less bad basketball team. It's true. <laughs> All right, Daddy. Why don't you tell would me? That, would about... that Henry's problems were so easy to solve? <laughs> um, why don't you tell me about this book that you read? It was recommended to us by one of our patrons, David. Thank you, David. 
who wrote in and said, My favorite author is James Baldwin. I'd love to hear your take on Giovanni's Room, a book that spoke to me a lot about my own dissonance before coming out. Thanks in advance, David. P.S. Do more James Baldwin. He's incredible. Thank you, David. Sure. Um, so, what? What do you want to say about this book before I keep talking? Because this is the intro <laughs> part of the show where, like, the person who did talk about it the talks author more. Author yeah. and the context and stuff. Yeah, uh, Giovanni's Room is about this guy whose name also is David, mm. who is living in uh, Paris, France, literally gay Paris. <laughs> Interesting. And and he has he is he has a like a serious relationship with a woman named Hella who is he who he is uh who like is in name. Spain right now. Like What's that name, Hella. I Hella, like that yeah. Name. Um, and she is she is away in Spain and he is in France and is she mainly he, on the plane? No, that's the rain. That's the rain in Spain. Oh, sorry, that's not Hella in Spain. <laughs> She's Hella, mainly in the cities, I think. Hella in Spain is mainly under an umbrella. Mm, sure. That's a good one. <laughs> you know that umbrella song? I don't know. I love that song. That's a good song. Hella, Hella, Hella. <laughs> <sighs> did you even get through the pitch? Sorry, I might have no, derailed I, you. No, I didn't. But okay. uh, yeah, David is in Paris and he meets this uh, this bartender named Giovanni. And he strikes up a passionate love affair with Giovanni and things kind of go downhill from both for both of them from there because it is, I mean, the, the novel came out in 1956. I assume that the events of the book are happening roughly contemporaneously. Like there's nothing in there to suggest that it's happening any other way. And David is, you know, he, he has a lot of, uh, conflicting feelings about his sexuality like Giovanni does too but is definitely way more into David than David is into Giovanni and David's got a lot of stuff like wrapped up in like masculinity and his like relationship with his dad and a lot of like past trauma that as a man in the 50s he's spending a lot of time trying not to unpack and mm. so that's pretty much the backdrop for Giovanni's room okay thanks for that yeah We'll talk about James Baldwin now, I guess. Okay, normally this is a weird order to do things. <laughs> uh, you, I want, I don't know why. I felt like I was talking too much, so I kicked it over. I kicked the rock over to you. Mm-hmm. I didn't dunk it, and mm-hmm. then uh, much like a Seventy Sixers basketball player, you passed the ball to me, and I was not expecting you to do that. I was expecting you to just put it into the basket and get the points out of there. Yeah, I didn't want the rock though. Um, so back on episode seventy-one in the. <laughs> Year of our Lord 2014. That's ridiculous. We talked about James Baldwin's first novel, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Um, we decided to spend five minutes to top the episode talking about documentaries, uh, but I was pleased and not surprised to hear us come out strongly against both sidesism in documentary filmmaking. Oh, good. In 2014, we were doing that. Yeah, and anti vaxxers. We were pretty, you know, oh, we were good. fighting the good fight all the way back f- then. Far ahead of time. I'm, I mean, I'm glad that we usually limit our weird beginning of show diversions to like two-ish minutes now instead of five but Um, still we also in that episode so that book 
is kind of based, you know, really heavily on Baldwin's growing up, which we'll talk about a little bit more in a second. But you can go back and listen to that one to hear us talk a little bit more about his religious upbringing and how that factored into that novel. We also talked a little bit in that episode about Baldwin's writings on Richard Wright and Native Son. Richard Wright is another writer who wrote Native Son. Um, They had like, you know, an artistic friendship for a few years. And then I think they had a... They, they had a falling out. I don't know if it lasted forever after um, Baldwin wrote notes on a native son, among other essays, kind of critiquing authors like Wright that had come before him. Um, Oops. But Baldwin was born in 1924, died in 1987. Oldest of nine children, born in Harlem. Um, his mother, he had a stepfather from an early age who he did not have a good relationship with, it seems. Um, he became a preacher in his teens. He took a job with the New Jersey Railroad. He's a freelance writer in Greenwich Village. That's how he connects with folks like Richard Wright. And through that network is how he got a Saxton Fellowship to uh, live in Paris uh, at the age of 24, 1948. And that's where he did you know, most of the writing that became Go Tell It on the Mountain and I guess some of the essays for Notes of a Native Son, but then also became Giovanni's Room, um, his other novels include uh, Another Country, If Beale Street Could Talk. Other books include The Fire Next Time. Um, yeah, and this book, this being his follow-up novel to Go Tell It on the Mountain, it did not initially, his publisher, Knopf, Knopf, didn't want it. They straight hmm. up said no. Okay. Um as the story goes, I read an article. I'm trying to find which one it was because I read a couple different ones. There's a New York Times magazine piece from 2019 uh, called Giovanni's Room Revisited uh, by Hilton Alls. And that talks about him having a publisher. He had like somebody at Knopf who was his like kind of the guy who like helped make his book happen in the first place. Like an um, editor? I don't know if it was his editor. I don't know. An editor? The, Is that even the right yes, word? Yes, probably. I okay. think he was a... The, this article says he was Knopf's publicity director. But he was on vacation when the script for Giovanni's Room came in or something. And they read it and were like, nah, we don't want it. Um, quote, not because it lacked fine writing, but because it had so few credible characters and would do nothing to serve Baldwin's reputation and that the book's failure had nothing to do with its subject matter. That was the company line. You can unpack maybe... Whether or not that's true, my my uh, this rejection has nothing to do with the book subject matter. T-shirt is raising <laughs> a lot of questions that are answered by the T-shirt. Well, there and I think more people cop to the fact that this book, uh, all of the characters are white, yeah. and Baldwin bursts onto the scene with Gotell on the Mountain as a black writer um, speaking to issues of you know black culture in Harlem and black religious culture and all, all sorts of things we talked about on the Go Tell on a Mountain episode. And so the fact that he comes out with this book that uh, is about homosexuality and bisexuality and, you know, gay peri, as you said, but then is also like all of the characters are white. What is this author doing? Who is he writing for? Yeah, there's a, cares. <laughs> no, there's a quote from him that he from later in his life where he says, uh, quote, the sexual question and the racial question have always been entwined. If Americans can mature on the level of racism, then they have to mature on the level of sexuality. Now, I think he's 
I think that is a quote from somewhere in the like late seventies or the, the eighties. And he's talking in the context of like Americans maturing on race in the wake of the civil rights era. I, I think our current era that we're living in have ex- has exposed like mm-hmm. some of the ways in which we still have not progressed as a society on that particular question. But he, but he Baldwin views the issues as, similar i think yes in terms of like fighting for acceptance and and that kind of thing he said in the paris review interview where a lot of these big quotes come from it's a 1984 interview in the paris review um i thought i would seal giovanni off into a short story but it turned into giovanni's room i certainly could not possibly have not at that point in my life handled the other great weight the negro problem the sexual moral light was a hard thing to deal with i could not handle both propositions in the same book there was no room for it i might do it differently today but then to have a black presence in the book at that moment and in paris would have been quite beyond my powers sure i'm sure people would argue that he probably could have pulled it off if he wanted but he's an expert on himself i suppose there's like a there's a straightforwardness to the the like genre of issue that this book is is i've heard that about that, that i think I don't I'm not saying I don't think Baldwin could have written a, a compelling and like meaningful book if he'd also been dealing with the characters being black or one character being black and the and another character not being but like I could see as an author the desire to sort of silo things off a little bit for the sake of like cleanliness or just like removing mm. that as an extra element especially sure. because David is a, you know, he, he is from New York. He, he is an American also. So it's, you know, it's he dealing with being a black man from America in the fifties. Who's also in Paris. Who's also like gay or, or bi. It's sort of ambiguous. Like there's, it's a lot of stuff to handle, especially if you are trying to fit this into a short story anyway, and then it becomes a short novel like, you know, yeah, I can see from from a writer's perspective why you would try to decomplicate it a little bit to make it, um, to make it more direct. I guess. Sure, sure. Um, there's another quote where he says it is more of a study of how it might have been or how I felt it might have been. I mean, for example, some of the people I've met. He's talking about being in Paris. We all met in a bar. There was a blonde French guy sitting at a table. He bought us drinks. And two or three days later, I saw his face in the headlines of a Paris paper. He'd been arrested and was later guillotined. That stuck in my mind. Um, That's reportedly some of the inspiration for this, as well as the fact that in 1948, when he moved there, um, he met and fell in love with a young Swiss man, Lucien Hoppersberger, getting this from a New Yorker article. Uh, and then in 1951 and 52, he goes to Switzerland, and that's where he completes Go Tell It on the Mountain. Uh, and then he spends the rest of his time living in France working on this book. Um, so, yeah. And he would, what, he passed away in France at the house that he owned in some village, some small village there, I think, as well later in his life. Um, should we get in the book, Andrew? Sure. Let's get into the book. I thought we had a break, but then I was like, oh, no, we already read the the ad yeah we don't have another ad so here we are here we are if we go to the next part (laughs) sorry you passed me a basketball and i thought that i i wasn't ready to receive the basketball and i I can't believe he did that the process for our podcast has broken down and i can't trust it anymore cannot trust it 
So I don't know. What do you, what do you want to know? What do you, did you know anything about this book before we put it on our schedule or what, what's your, what's your level of familiarity slash curiosity? Good question. I don't think we've done, we haven't done this question enough recently. Um, I knew about the bookstore in Philadelphia named Giovanni's room. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew that this was a seminal work of James Baldwin's oeuvre and that I'd been hoping we could do a Baldwin again soon and that it was about two men um, and their relationship and that I knew the thing about all the characters being white and I don't really know. I've read in some of these articles uh, that I was trying to read to prep for the show that like you you can read David and know that it's James Baldwin. Like you can, <laughs> and you can find interesting connections there knowing about what he's written about race in other books, even though he's not writing about the black experience in this book, um, just about like identity and Americanism. Like I'm interested if any of the America, like what your read is on like critiques of American identity or whatever that is might be in this book. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of stuff there's a lot of commentary on America and Americans delivered primarily via Giovanni as like commentary on like David's character and how mm. that speaks to his wider cultural experience. Okay. Um, mostly just about America being very like confident in itself and very young and like striving for, happiness at the expense of I don't know like more complex understandings of of things and also I guess kind of an implied arrogance to Americans as huh. they are as they are like going through Europe sure that's like that's like the bulk of of that like it is it comes up a lot but that's the main that's the main thing is just this like David not wanting to be perceived as like overtly American or like touristy, but then like he goes into the American express building to like get the letters from his dad or whatever. (laughs) And he knows just from, just from the vibe he gets from everybody in there. Like, like, Oh, this is a thing that joins me and these people together is we're all Americans and this is unavoidable. And, and yeah, like it's, it's yet another thing about, his character that he doesn't fully understand or control that's that he has a complicated relationship with. So that's fun. Okay. So it sounds like the book, I don't know. I don't know much about the structure of the book, but it sounds like thematically and certainly it's like David, you know, discovering himself and learning about himself. Or is he like coming in with a sense of self that then gets, well, um, so, okay. So time, the timeline is an interesting thing to, to talk about. So you were, the book is being told to the reader from David. And this is like, as David is telling you what is happening, Giovanni is waiting to be executed. And Hella is like sailing back across the Atlantic ocean to America, having left him. Okay. And so you are one tons of foreshadowing in this book. Like he does talk very briefly at the, like when he is talking about the beginning of his, relationship with Giovanni where he says in the beginning, our life together held a joy and amazement, which was newborn every day. Um, but because you are 
hearing about this relationship from the perspective of somebody who is like at the nadir of it. (laughs) He adds beneath the joy of course was anguish and beneath the amazement was fear, but they did not work themselves to the beginning until our high beginning was aloes on our tongues. By then anguish and fear had become the surface on which we slipped and slid losing balance, dignity and pride. So you don't get like a fun (laughs) new relationship phase for David and Giovanni. Like it is, it is a, a deeply, uh, I don't know, like depressed and conflicted person who's telling you all of this. And so there's nothing that you hear about that is not colored by that perspective. I don't, sure, I don't think. Sure. And so you like the book is told sort of linearly in that you are continually moving from the beginning of the, uh, you know, of oh, the, the relationship. Uh, yeah, sort of from when when they meet to to when everything is is falling apart. But you are told pretty upfront, pretty quickly that it is going to fall apart and that it is going to be a sad, sad book. Okay, so I have two thoughts. Okay. One, this is exactly like the structure of The Last Dance, starring Michael Jordan. That's my first thought. My second thought is that actually it's just like it's it's dramatic irony, which is a tool as old as time, and that. When I was reading about this book, people kept mentioning that you could hear the voice of Baldwin, the playwright, because he did write some plays and that it's kind of character focus and maybe it's use of dramatic irony indicates that like that's kind of the mode he was maybe in while he was working on it. But I'm going to choose to believe that like this is where The Last Dance got their idea for how to do their kind of dual chronological structure where it's like we start with the with the last season and we're going to move chronologically through that season. But also every episode we're going to go back and we're moved chronologically through Michael Jordan. I mean, you're just thinking about basketball. And no, thinking, I was thinking about... Well, nope. no, you're, so, you're, so you're thinking about basketball, uh-huh. and you're like, what if my mm-hmm. basketball team, the Philadelphia 1776ers, yeah. were as good as the mid-90s Chicago Bulls? Well... Wouldn't that be great if they, wouldn't if they were that Wouldn't that be great? That's if, not- if, they, if, we could, if we could even get a one-peat. To say nothing of a three Pete. My God, just a one Pete. <laughs> just one Pete. Not even Pete and Pete. Just one Pete. Mm-hmm. God, we should draft Artie to be our forward. I mean, Toby Huss is a is a working actor and he does great work. Huh. On TV's Dickinson and <laughs> Halt and Catch Fire, among other places. Okay. So tell me about how David's like story in Paris begins. So we first hear about his sort of home life and his childhood. His mom died when he was like five or six, has a lot of, here's a theme with David is he has a lot of unprocessed trauma related to things in his past that he chooses not to dig into. So he has all these dreams that his mom is in, but she's like a rotting corpse who's trying to like hug him with her rotting corpse body. And he's like, I shouldn't tell anybody about this. (laughs) Or even really think about what it means very hard. Sure. I should just kind of leave this where it is. Okay. Um, and he talks about his his uh, father and his father's, uh, I think, older sister, his aunt, live in this house together with him and, and are raising him. And they hate each other, his dad and his aunt, which he picks up on. Pretty early and then eventually starts kind of hating his father, too, because his his dad 
goes out and he he's kind of a playboy and he gets around with like ladies in the in you know in the community. Yeah, that's and a way to say it. He gets around with ladies in the community. It's my favorite Snoop Dogg line. <sighs> okay. <laughs> and he doesn't like he doesn't have a lot of respect for his father. His father tries to treat him as a friend, which is not doesn't I, work as, for that. As a as a parent, I don't think that you should try to be like friends with your kid. Like if you, if you have a you should have a good relationship with your kid. You should be friendly with their kid. Your kid like they should feel like they can tell you stuff. But the way going up to your kid and being like, "Hey, let's go get hey, let's go get a beer, kid. I'm I'm cool and I'm I'm just here to be your pal." Like that is uh that that's a shortcut trying to 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 gain their confidence that I feel like is ba- a bad idea in the long run. This is just me switching from book thoughts to parenting thoughts on this Father's Day 2021. <laughs> sure. Like I want Henry to feel very safe with telling me things and talking to to me about things, but I also acknowledge that there's going to be a there's going to be a time in his life where he does not want to do that. Yeah, that's and true. We just kind of got to we got to get through it. <laughs> you do got to get through it. Um, when you uh, mentioned earlier that um, David has a lot of this unprocessed trauma um, and he probably needs to talk to somebody about it, there is a beat in this Paris Review interview where the interviewer just like asked Baldwin, have you ever been, th- have you been through analysis? And Baldwin goes, God, no, never got quote unquote adjusted. And then they move on to talking about um victimhood and victimization and it's a fascinating conversation but that just like stood out to me as i mean like, i'm whoa. sure that has a lot to do with attitudes toward therapy and, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. it's interesting i don't know it's, hmm. anyway yeah, no it, it is interesting um so david how does he come to go to paris you know i don't he just Except, does. Yeah, like he ju- he's just traveling around a, a lot. He's he doesn't particular. He kind of want to. It's kind of about getting away from his dad, like kind of, and his stepmom, who he doesn't really have much of a relationship with. Um, there is also in this early in this first part of the book, we is when we hear about this relationship that David has with this boy uh, Joey. Okay. And they had a, an early. I don't know, like some experimentation, I guess. Like, I don't know. They, they were close friends and then they briefly had a, like a physical encounter. And then David like decided to, I like pretend it didn't happen. And in pretending it didn't happen, like being really, really unrelentingly nasty to Joey and getting different friends and not talking to him anymore until eventually like Joey like moved away and they didn't see each other ever again. Hmm. It says a lot about David's sort of relationship to this part of him self is like he views, he talks, there's a lot of talk in this book about how, about David's like manhood and okay. sure. the way that, I don't know the way that, his being gay is, is making him like question his own man. It's he says, uh, yet it was true. I recalled turning away from the river down the long street home. I wanted children. I wanted to be inside again with the light and safety with my manhood unquestioned, watching my woman put my children to bed. 
I wanted the same bed at night and the same arms, and I wanted to rise in the morning knowing where I was. I wanted a woman to be, for me, a steady ground, like the earth itself, where I could always be renewed. It had been so once, it had almost been so once. I could make it so again, I could make it real. It only demanded a short, hard strength for me to become myself again. Uh, And he is referring in that instance to breaking things off with Giovanni. So, like, here we've got, like manliness being explicitly tied to heterosexual like traditional relationships yeah yeah um like his homosexuality or bisexuality is a is a weakness to be like powered through and not like a part of his identity that he needs to when it sounds like uh, he's what's, trying to like what's exter- the word I want the reconcile with the rest yeah. of his identity yeah and it yeah, sounds yeah. like he's trying to like externalize it and like attach it to other people and then when he cuts those people out of his life he maybe he hopes he can cut it out of his own a couple well, of the that, articles that's that's, in, that's interesting too talk, talking about like individual people versus what he yeah like the kinds of people he wants like there's a when he is in the process of like breaking things off with with Giovanni he David is talking about things in terms of like the kind of person or the kind of thing that Giovanni wants. And Giovanni is like, I'm trying to talk about you and me as individual people who like mean something to each other. And it's just huh. not how it's not how David is thinking about stuff. But huh. anyway. Yeah. 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 There's yeah. this quote from the, from that New York times article, um, putting the book in a little bit of historical context, which I just wanted to make sure I, Jared Baldwin wrote his this is again the Hilton, the Hilton Alls piece Baldwin wrote his second novel during the Eisenhower presidency at the start of the Cold War when queers were stuck between a big rock and an uglier hard place you could be arrested for soliciting while being forced to live in the world in a kind of mental and physical drag a straight male drag that celebrated the best America had to offer which is to say an enabling potentially violent masculinity which is exactly what you just described <laughs> like that <laughs> like the the portrait of manhood that david i don't know if he's actually aspiring to it but maybe it would be a real comfort if he could just have it and not have to worry about anything else it's certainly the way that he views like traditional masculinity and heterosexuality like it is that's the model that he is thinking that he needs to try and aspire to or like try to squeeze himself into now that's it's i didn't I didn't do any research into this. I I don't know like how much of this we're supposed to. I don't know. There's this moment where Giovanni says, uh, these absurd women running around today, full of ideas and nonsense and thinking themselves equal to men. They need to be beaten half to death so that they can find out who rules the world. Okay. (laughs) And so this, this is them talking about just like the, you know, women be different than men. And so Giovanni clearly is deeply misogynistic despite being, I I mean, I think Giovanni is, is canonically pretty bi. He says this thing at one point, like he, when he was in Italy, which is where he's from, um, he had, he, I think he was married or at least he had like a, a long-term like serious relationship. Um, and he, says uh i don't seem to be very interested in women right now i don't know why i used to be perhaps i will be again like that sounds pretty hmm. Hmm. um 
I, I from the 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 by people in, in my life, I do think that phases are a thing that happens to, sure. to folks. <laughs> like, it, you know, it, your interest in, in certain things can wax and wane as you move through your life and you need different things. So yeah. I just thought, I thought that was an interesting way for Giovanni, a sort of misogynistic Italian from the novel in the fifties to like succinctly sum up this element of like bisexuality that, that, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I highlighted that because it because it jumped out at me. I want to get to the titular room at some point and learn about the room. Of course, is there anything we should know about how Hella functions in the novel? She is not in it for most of it. She is there to, and but she is supposedly coming back. So she's like the the heterosexuality of Damocles, just like hanging over. <laughs> David's head like he he's doing this thing with Giovanni for a couple of months but Hella could always be coming back at any moment and so okay. she's mostly just like this this like link to the 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 straight David I guess that he yeah. that he the David who he thinks that he wants to be or who he thinks it would be easier for him to be She's kind of out there as a reminder of that. And then she, in the last like third or so of the book, she comes back in and, and, and forces things to happen narratively in the way that happens in novels. Yeah. 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 Um, but, but really, you know, she getting to know her as a character is not like super vitally important. I don't think like the, the book is not as concerned with her as a, as a person. I don't think. Yeah. I'm just looking at a, a passage from that, all's piece where uh they said that david uses her or baldwin uses hella as a kind of a quote a kind of beard to advance the real love story which is <laughs> one heck of a a way to read it um tell me about this room tell me about why why would this book be called giovanni's room what is going on giovanni lives in a room in paris <laughs> all right podcast over i guess yeah nailed it you giovanni- saw shot Giovanni has a room and he lives in it. <laughs> the end. Now it's uh so it is it it serves as it's a, it's a lot of things. It's like a, an external sort of signifier of of like Giovanni's internal character t- traits. It is a uh it's a, it's a marker for how like quick and serious but also sort of like temporary feeling and ephemeral their relationship is so it Mm. it is um david is living in a hotel and he is like so so david is you know he he is living by himself in paris he doesn't really have a job he is i'm not sure how many men he has he is he has been with in paris but it is you know he he is running in circles where him going to what is kind of tacitly a a gay bar in paris is a semi-regular occurrence he's got this older uh guy named jacques who gives him money and is 
like sexually interested in him who he is clearly like toying with and using just to like get stuff. Um, and so the, the inciting incident of the book is, is David has gone to Jacques to get money to pay his hotel bill, which has come due. Um, David has money at, at home that his dad could send him, but for, uh, reasons which I, I don't think we need to explain because I think they're kind of implicit. Like David has been sort of cagey about getting in touch with his dad because he doesn't sure. want to, he just doesn't, you know, he doesn't want to have to answer complicated questions that may or may not come up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, David and Jacques have gone to this bar, um, that is owned by this other older, a gay guy named Guillaume and then Giovanni is a bartender there. Okay. And everybody is just, everybody loves looking at Giovanni. He's just this, <laughs> it's, it's another, it's another one of those books and I don't always, I don't always love this, but I usually try to ignore it. It's just like any, any book where characters are inferring like, full Wikipedia pages for other characters based on like sideways glances and stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, but that's how people operate, Andrew. Is it? People though? do that all the time. But are they always 100% right all the no, time? No, because that's that how it operates matter. in books. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, that's sure. how it operates in this book. It's okay. like, oh yeah, I know everything. And there, I mean, certainly there, there are types of people. You can, you can, especially if you're in a, in an environment that is like part. So, so thinking about the, this, uh, gay bar that they're in, I, I'm sure there are kinds of people. Like I, I, I thought about that. Um, when we go to new Orleans, we go to this, this sort of touristy bar called Pat O'Brien's and you yes. can always, you can always like peg everybody who's there. Like, Oh, you're here for a bachelorette party. You're just some like drunken frat boy. You are, a middle-aged lady here with your other middle-aged lady girlfriends just kind of living it up and having a good time. And they're looking at us going, oh, there's a bunch of college roommates who thought that they could party like they used yeah, to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we, <laughs> and we could. The end. <laughs> they got it right. They but got no, the that, Wikipedia that, entry right. I think, that's, I think that, that's, that's probably the kind of thing that is happening here is you just see a, a person in a particular place and infer a lot by the way that they're presenting themselves. And is there anything... To that, I I feel like when sometimes when it's in a romantic situation, both in real life and in fiction, there can be an element of like projection where you see, you know, and that's like a lot of like true love, love at first sight stories where you like you see someone and then all of a sudden you're imagining things about them based on the type of love you want to have. Is some is some of that happening at all? There's certainly a like a trying to think how to how to articulate this, but that. Like if you if you are a little paranoid and you are looking at somebody and thinking, oh, they must be thinking this thing about me. Yes. And the reason why I know that is because I'm thinking this thing about them and our brains must be working the same way. Because Yeah, that's how theory <laughs> because, of mind works. Yeah. yeah, because we're like similar. We're in a similar place. And when. Yeah. You know, it's that kind of thing. OK. OK. Um, so what is his read on Giovanni? David. He doesn't really know how to think about Giovanni. They have a lot of conversations about like, you know, him being American and he uh Giovanni notices that he's there with Jacques who is like an older and frankly physically not super attractive 
gay man who does seem to be paying for things. And so Giovanni can infer a certain, Mm. uh, certain amount of stuff about David from that. And they just, they have this night together where they hang out until like six in the morning, which just made me so tired to, to read about (laughs) because we were up to like 2 AM playing video games one night recently. And I, I have been, you know, you f- you feel it the whole next day, and you it's just do. not like pleasant to think about. <laughs> Let alone, I'm in another country. I'm in Paris. There's a time. I'm jet lagged. Like six well, in the morning. He, he didn't just he didn't just get to Paris. He's been there for a while. He's been living at a hotel sure, room. sure. But so he, he to to get back to the the thing I was telling you in the first place. Like he's you know he's borrowed more money from Jacques to live in this hotel room, but he also meets this guy Giovanni. Giovanni, who lives in this room, where is that? So that's room? where that's where the it's it's in Paris, but sort of in the it's sort of in the far reaches of Paris, on the outskirts <laughs> okay. of Paris, in the outer rim, in, of in, Paris. in a not particularly great uh, great area of town. Okay, um, and it is it used to be like a maid's room, but it's sort of been converted into like a studio apartment. Basically, is the the vibe that I get. Uh, and David decides that he's gonna move into Giovanni's room, okay. the titular Giovanni's room, and Have then they, they just they just live in there for a, a couple of months. And are they just like in a relationship? Oh yeah. They, well, I mean, they're hooking up. Okay. They're I don't know up. that. I don't know that David would describe it as a relationship because he's feel he feels way too conflicted about stuff. Well, fair enough. He okay. he seems to to view any any homosexual relationship that he's in as like a a passing thing or a moment of weakness and it is, and, and eventually things will revert to the status quo. Like when, when Hella shows sure, up, probably sure. things will go back to, to normal and I'll just get this out of my system and I'll be fine. Is it a cool room? Does he like have an Nintendo oh, it's or not, anything? It's not a great room. It's kind oh. of dirty. It's kind of, he seems like kind of a hoarder. There's one, there's a <laughs> part where Giovanni decides that it would be great to have a bookshelf that was like integrated into the wall that was just like part of the wall. So he just starts pulling drywall and bricks out of the wall which is not there's other ways to well bob vila hadn't been invented yet so he didn't bob know vila hadn't been invented yet so he didn't know to have norm abram come over and just like sledgehammer the, the wall which I, I guess that's what norm would do <laughs> but no he just it, i don't know it's just kind of a it's kind of a junky little room huh. and he has the windows sort of frosted over so nobody can look in there and see all the gay stuff that's happening okay Okay. Um, and that's Giovanni's room. Well, but you said earlier in the episode, obviously we've been talking a lot about David's conflicted feelings about his bisexuality or his homosexual relationships. And you said you alluded to Giovanni maybe being like freer or at least being more open about. Is that true? Is that. I mean, that's that's part. I think part of that is. Europe versus America. Okay. Where in America, this kind of thing was literally not legal <laughs> and you well, could be thrown in yeah. jail about it. Whereas in Europe, at least if uh, you picking up from what Giovanni is saying, it is, or, or, or what, even what Baldwin is, is saying in the narration when he's talking about, uh, later on when, when Giovanni is in the papers, uh, you, you alluded to this thing earlier, but yep. we, we can talk about it a little bit. Um, it is, it is not, legal but is also not like super accepted and a thing that you just like go out and and openly do like it is to be in any kind of same-sex relationship is still kind of fundamentally a a furtive secretive sort of thing. yeah okay okay 
But is Giovanni like Trump? like Gi- Giovanni is, seems definitely seems more open to just like being with David in whatever form that takes and just like letting that run its course. He doesn't seem super hung up on it saying anything about like his masculinity. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Um, okay. I mean, but but we we don't get stuff from from inside Giovanni's head, but at least that's that's the way that it is. It is kind of pushing back on David, sure. Um, so let's get into the sort of deterioration of, of this thing. As let's we, do it as we wrap up. Is uh, David uh, at the same time gets a letter from his dad, being just like, "Hey, man, we're buds. You can tell me what's going on. Like, you, you've been over there for a long time. I really feel like you should come home instead of." just messing around over there. There's a lot of stuff in the book about how David is aging and getting too old for, for doing this kind of thing. David is in his late twenties. Oh no. Oh no. (laughs) So I disintegrated into dust and Susanna had to vacuum me out of the couch cushions (laughs) as a 35 year old man. Yeah, I get it. Um, but, uh, so th- that is happening. And then also Hella is like, mm, I'm, I'm having fun in Spain. And it's the book doesn't fully explore why she, a single young woman, is away in Spain by herself. Giovanni does question this a little bit. It's like, isn't it? What's she, is, is she like, you know, is she, is she uh, uh, riding some bullfighters or something? Is she like, have, what, what's she doing over there? She's meeting men in the community. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> but it is it is uh, not something that we explore as thoroughly as we explore David's own. Of course, stuff of course, that yeah, that he's got going on. But she says, you know, I'm coming. To, I'm coming back to Paris. Get ready. And David, being the sort of emotionally healthy, well balanced guy that he is. Uh, chooses not to mention either thing to Giovanni and oh, sort no. of just to let stuff happen. And, and has hope he mentioned that it, Hella at all to him? He's mentioned her, mm. and that's why they. That's why uh, he and Giovanni have had the conversation about Hella in the first place. There's this this whole other weird little aside where I think David is trying to like prove that he is a a man, and and he like has sex with some like casual acquaintance who he describes in very physically unflattering terms. And he says, he says like she, she has a big butt and he is talking about how she must not want to seem alluring to anybody because she just walks around in tight blue jeans all the time. And I'm, I chalk that one up to like a fashion, like a fashion yeah because like you know you know nice looking jeans on a nice butt ain't nothing wrong with that yeah it's true i don't think david's a very (laughs) reliable narrator on this i don't think he's a reliable narrator but like justice for sue who is the the fat bottom girl hashtag hashtag justice for sue yeah who david just has a one night stand with to prove that he's still a man or whatever it is that he's he's trying to do to himself yeah okay so hello comes back to to town and David, could, could you just guess for me real quickly? Hella comes back to town. David has not told Giovanni that this is happening. What does David do in this situation when she shows up? Does he pretend he's never met Giovanni? Does he... 
so he doesn't he doesn't pretend he's never met Giovanni, but he does do this when they run into each other four days after Hella shows up, having never told Giovanni that she's coming or where he is or that he's leaving at all. Oh, he just meets, no. He just meets Hella and just starts being with her and yeah and but up until that exact moment he was still living in the titular giovanni's room oh no david david's kind of a bummer yeah that seems like the point of the book though is that he is supposed to be a bummer yeah that maybe you look at and you go huh am i a bummer (laughs) i don't know i don't know if that's like in 1956 if that is necessarily what the what the reader would be doing maybe yeah it is clearly david has a lot of of stuff going on that he needs to deal with sure but so, so like before this has happened giovanni has lost his job at the bar um uh, Guillaume, the guy I mentioned earlier, had tried to proposition him and Giovanni because he was in what he perceived to be a stable relationship with David, has sort of turned him down. Guillaume, hurt, loudly accused him of being a thief in front of everybody at the like busiest possible hour in the bar. So Gio- Giovanni has sort of been disgraced and can't get it. It's, it's going to have a hard time getting another job. Uh, so Giovanni takes up with Jacques, who is, I, I mentioned is the, yep. the, the other older sort of benefactor sugar daddy figure yeah. in the <laughs> benefactor is another word for us, <laughs> but, um, and, and you just like David watches from afar as Giovanni sort of debases himself for money. And then, just as David and uh, and Hella, whose relationship is not doing great, um, just they, as they're deciding, oh, we're going to get married, we're going to leave Paris, it's it's we're going to do all this stuff, it's going to be great. Uh, Guillaume is murdered. Oh, by somebody. Somebody, somebody turns out to be Giovanni. Oh, and then uh, it's just David being like inconsolably something like he he just is having a very strong emotional response to this while he is doing this his relationship with hella falls apart she sort of surmises both from his strong reaction to this and the fact that he is out uh with like other with like male sailors just like partying uh-huh. at a, another uh a gay bar and she goes and she finds him there like she surmises that he is homosexual or bisexual in a way that she is, you know, she, she feels sort of lied to and, and she leaves. And so this is, this gets us back to where we were at the beginning of the book. It's like Giovanni's going to be executed. Hella is, is leaving and, and David is sort of left with his thoughts. Huh? And that's more or less the book. That sounds like more or less the book. Okay. It's not like a it's not a laugh riot. No, it's not a laugh riot. But it's hmm. I'm interested. I'm just hmm. This is one of the first this is a book every once in a while you tell me about a book and I'll go, "Man, why do I got to read another book for the show? I could go read this book right now." Like I'm like it interested. It only takes a couple hours to read it. Yeah, that's a good it's point. A short one. That's a good point. 
So it it sounds like David's issues, and there are many. <laughs> um, I've never heard somebody try to say the like the the intercapped like SpongeBob SquarePants <laughs> font before until you said issues just now. Does um you know based on our discussion so far, it seems like Baldwin's built a character where. His issues both come from his own, like, lack of self-knowledge or aversion to, like... I think aversion. Aversion. Yeah. Um, and also, it the book has some kind of, you know, depictions of, like, the societal reasons why he might be averse, right? Like, it's not yeah. just, hey, David's an idiot and he's causing pain to people in his life. No, 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 and that—that's not—that's not what the book is is doing, and I hope that's not what my um, no, no, no. I just synopsis w- of the book is doing. I wanted to wrap it around because I feel like it is. You do, even though David is like objectively really awful to a bunch of people. Yeah, you'd feel you feel for him because you have a sense of the like the cultural circumstances that he that he is working okay it, yeah. it is it is not like this is happening in in 2021 like this is still a a time where it is dangerous both like culturally and legally to be any kind of of gay anywhere near public yeah yeah <laughs> you know? yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah 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 well and I, I think that there are situations in which people still find themselves where that oh is yeah, no, and not true. not to not to not to minimize the yeah yeah not, no, 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 no not no. at all but I, no that that's just the backdrop that the story is happening in it's like the 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 default like heterosexual monogamous relationship yeah. archetype is so all consuming especially in David's like American mind that any deviation from that at all for any reason for any amount of time is enough to throw him into like an existential crisis yeah 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 yeah. that yes okay um i think that i was gonna ask you like why is this book on all the lists and why is it this like kind of seminal work or why do you think people respond so strongly to it i think we've gotten to the heart of it and, and some of it is that like it is a very detailed portrait it sounds like of that process of questioning that a lot of people the process of questioning and just like the the internal conflict and and that there are no clean lines even even when david is talking about how his like his body physically responds to like giovanni and and hella and even even like and even sue where you know things mechanically work the way that they're supposed to work yeah yeah um when they when they hook up but yeah yeah it, it is a it is. It's a literary exploration of of, of all of that, and and yeah, that's. I yes. read a saw a phrase in a Guardian article that called it a an anatomy of shame. Yikes! Is, yeah, which that's, is... that's that's not incorrect. <laughs> all right. Well, thanks for telling me about this book, Andrew. Thanks, thanks for listening to me about this book. That's what I did. Correct. Um, thank you, David, for recommending it. Not David from the book. David, the guy. Or is it? Oh no. Um, if you want to write in to us and talk about rooms or Paris or whatever, send us an email at overduepod at gmail.com. 
hit us up on social media, Facebook and Twitter.com slash OverduePod. Thanks to Misha, Robin, Jennifer, Juliana, KC, Stephanie, Persephone, Michelle, Gloria, and many more for reaching out to us in the past week. Thanks to Nick Lorandis, who composed our theme song. Andrew, folks want to know more about the show. Where should they go? They should go to OverduePodcast.com, which is our internet website. Up there we have links to Apple and Google and our RSS feed. We're also on Stitcher. We're also on Spotify. We are anywhere where you can get fine podcasts. You cannot escape us. Don't even try. (laughs) We, on our website, have links to the books that we have read and are going to read. Our July schedule is going to go up sooner then I'm ready to admit, just yeah. the the year has has flown by in, in not a good way for me. But this, you know, this is the nature of linear time. Here we are. Let's keep going. June was structurally a, a bizarre month. Like it went oddly quick for me in a way I wasn't expecting. Well, because I'm I'm back to measuring my social calendar by like in terms of how many weekends there are in a in a month. Yeah. And you just you just get booked up real fast. And then, I don't know, you go from spending all your time sitting on your butt at home to trying as hard as you can not to do that. Do that. <laughs> uh-huh. And it really, it, it just, yeah, the, the way that my brain accounts for time has been screwed up since April 2020. And it's not getting better anytime soon. <laughs> no, it is not. Uh, we also have a Patreon project. Give us money to talk about Giovanni's Room and other such books. Patreon.com slash pod. You can get bonus episodes of the show early. You can sit in on uh, recordings of bonus episodes, which we always have a good time with. And you can get episodes of our long read projects early. Right now we're reading Miguel de Cervantes' Don Quixote as translated by Edith Grossman and having a really good time with the last couple of entries. Yeah, they're fun. Uh, again, wild and silly. Yeah, patrons, we put May's episode up like a week ago and you can actually expect June's episode to go up sometime yeah this week because we recorded it because we're we are making like tomatoes and catching up next week i'm gonna be reading the hours by michael cunningham did i remember his name off the top of my head correctly let's see did you scope this guy's name nice no scoped (laughs) uh so tune in for that next week that's the show All right, everybody. Thanks for listening. And until we talk to you next time, please try to be happy. That was a HeadGum Podcast.